the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. again to the podcast. How you doing, Lindsay? Doing okay. How are you, Justin? I'm good. Um, we're coming uh, off of Thanksgiving yeah. right now. We're coming off of Thanksgiving in a real serious film. We did yeah. kids. Um, and uh, we were like, you know what would make <laughs> the month of November even better to do an even, you know, another serious film. Uh, so yep. we've chosen the ice storm because it has a yeah. A smidgen of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It's not a Thanksgiving movie, but and even though we're past Thanksgiving, there's a turkey, right? You there's, know, we just figured, yeah, you know, the way our podcast falls, even though it's post Thanksgiving, maybe some of you are still feeling festive, so you can consider this. This is very much like a, um, not a Thanksgiving movie. This is the movie you watch when you're eating like the the leftover dinner roll, right? Turkey sandwiches. Feeling terrible about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like I still wish that tofurkey. Why doesn't tofurkey stick around? But like you've got turkey for weeks. I mean, maybe not weeks. It's probably gonna be bad after yeah. that. I've never. It's never lasted more like three days <laughs> for me, but personally, but. Um. Well, the ice storm. Um. We're, we've kind of been. Um. This is a, a favorite movie of mine. And Justin, I know that you were you kind of revisited this one after a long time. Yeah, this was a big revisit for me. I, yeah. I watched this a couple of times because it was it was one that uh, of all the movies we've done, the least familiar of a film that I was with. Out of everything that we've done, out so of everything far? that we've done, the least familiar. So I was Dang. trying to brush up and watch it a few times. I think this one is is fun to brush up on because there's there's so much involved. Uh, there's um, uh, and we'll get we'll get more into it. But, um, I don't know if I would describe it as fun. Watching okay, this movie okay. twice in four days was it, it, it was it was a heavy film. Okay, but just stepping outside of the subject right. matter, it's a it's a there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's definitely not a fun movie. Um, but if you like drama, if you like um, silent glances that say everything, right? This movie is chocked full of that. Well, I think one of the, I think the main reason why I was really into doing this movie was because we haven't really tackled a real serious drama. I mean, aside from, you know, last episode, kids. Right. But even that, I felt like that's more of a, that it was a, I'm glad that we did did that one because that one is a different kind of movie. You're right though. It is. Um, But this is like a very, you know, it's like a very Hollywood film, but it has a, there's a lot of. A lot going. It's like a very yeah. serious but big budgeted Hollywood film with big Hollywood stars. Yeah, whereas Kids was like more gritty and street. Yeah, and this is yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. Is is it's? I think it's it's fun to to dissect things and go into different territory. And I love all the movies that we've done. I love this film. It was, I, I mean, it was one that wanted to do it I, I mean I think I brought yeah. it up you know I was like I was all for it but it was um yeah of all the movies we've done this one has been I think the one I watched the the closest is like both times I watched it in the last few weeks 
Did you have have trouble coming out of that? Uh, it never really puts me in a depression or anything, but it it puts me in a very introspective thinking about the things that have happened in my life and as an adult and as a child. Yeah, it's, mode. it's not. It wasn't a movie for me that put me in any kind of um, funk. Funk. Yeah, I mean, and there are certain movies like there's like the. There's a few movies that I like. The Deer Hunter is like reserved for like once every like eight years when I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. feeling like this is like the perfect time to watch this movie. So I just don't feel terrible for a week. But like this is a movie that I felt uh, the sec. I will say the second time around, the last thirty minutes, it was it felt more heavy than the first. Yeah, the first round that I watched it. But that's fine. I mean, I I like a movie that can. And we also don't want to intimidate anyone too with this, with the seriousness and the heaviness of this. It is a it is a great film, and there there is a lot um, a lot of merit in this yeah. as far artistically and subject matter wise. It's just um it's a great film to discuss. So what what do we want to discuss? Speaking of that, I know we want to talk about Ang Lee, director Ang Lee. Yes, Ang Lee, who's done quite a few movies you might have heard of. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Brokeback Mountain, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, just to name a few, and Hulk, which I have actually have never seen. But I, I haven't either. I was kind of surprised he did it, but yeah, you know, whatever. That was kind of before the the Marvel thing took off. So yeah, I would be curious revisiting what that, that. would have done. Yeah, and um, definitely want to talk about the cast because I think this is just one of the most understated and well-acted movies of the 90s in my opinion yeah very understated unfortunately too because it i don't feel like it got the recognition that it deserved it got a lot of critical acclaim um but i do like i do like how and this is something i'll talk about later but just like one of the things to talk about is with the acting how this is a very reserved film there's not like the scene where an actor is like screaming or you know i mean a lot of times the big hollywood drama that's gonna go for get all the Oscar nominations. <laughs> they have the scene where like the actors like screaming at the person or all, you know, just yeah. that very intense thing. And this movie's like so opposite of that. It's so quiet and subdued. And I think that's, you can have just an, is an effective of a performance with the opposite of that grandiose, like, and, and don't get me wrong. I love <laughs> that. Yeah. You love crazy, when- you know, getting, getting all intense and crazy. I, I can co- totally get into that, but when- I also, like this sort of quiet, understated performance as well. When Tim Robbins finally escapes from jail in the Shawshank Redemption in the rain. Give it to me. Go yeah. for that pull. Yeah. Pull that up crane and shot. show him. It's yeah. beautiful. Throwing his hands in the air. But yeah, you're not going to find anything like this. It's raining on my or cheeks and during that scene. <laughs> totally. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about Ang Lee and the cast. Also the look of the film and the fact that this is a period piece. Um, it takes place, not a period piece, but it takes place in the 1970s. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say about, about that too with the seventies, it's like that I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it, but it is, yeah, it's like a movie that doesn't look like it's trying to look like the seventies. Sure. It's, a, it's a, again, sub, <laughs> yeah. subdued. It's just, it feels, everything in this feels like pretty natural. Yeah. It really does. I mean, down, uh, with everything that's technical, yeah. I mean, down to the lighting. Yeah, and and a big thing I wanted to the uh, we're going to discuss, which will mm-hmm. I'm not really big on spoilers. They don't ever bother me, and we've never said spoiler alert on this podcast. I don't think, um, but 
I really wanted to talk about the ending of this film because yeah. I think it's pretty bold. And so if once we get to that section of the podcast, if you don't, if you haven't seen this movie, you can fast yeah. forward or you know <laughs> tune out. If you can't handle it. Yeah, we'll talk about the ending. We'll have our discussion on that. And we'll also talk about, um, yeah, a couple like really, I guess, like the themes in the film. Um, there's a lot that's a very, uh, I think like, is as simple as the plot is for this film that's very uh, intricate in its themes and like its character studies and i'd like to kind of get into that a little bit as well um so we'll talk about the ice storm um we've got our picks of the week as usual what's um, your pick of the week this my time? pick of the week is dave um, Dave. which also uh, connection beans also a film with Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein uh, directed by Ivan Reitman, which is really like a 360 from the oh, yeah. storm. Um, and what was your pick of the week? Mine is gorillas in the mist. It is another Sigourney Weaver movie. Um, this might be the I heart Sigourney podcast. Yeah, actually I've never seen gorillas in the mist. Ugh. Well, so, um, if, but, if the ice storm didn't make you cry. Yeah, I figured I'd wait till after you did your This Is Your Pick of the Week before mm -hmm. I decided to tackle that movie. I always like watching. If I haven't seen it, I, re I prefer to watch it after you've I've spoke seen, about it. I've seen Dave countless times yeah. in life. I adore it. I'll it's, admit this was the first. Uh, I, I rolled the dice on this podcast. I had never <laughs> seen Dave. <laughs> I hadn't seen the ice storm in like. 18 years seeing what point. happens yeah, yeah you know trusting good old sigourney hey, that yep. she made some good flicks yep. i don't know she didn't she didn't uh do me wrong does so, she ever yeah she, i don't think she could yeah um so those are our picks of the week and as always our murray moment um before we go into the first clip from the ice storm as always Lindsay, could you tell us what is the ice storm about the title again uh is one that kind of gives I mean, a lot of information. Is out, there an ice storm that yeah. happens? If there wasn't an ice storm, I felt like it would be kind of It'd a be weird letdown. Yeah, it'd be weird. Set in 1973 in New Canaan, Connecticut. I always like to say that uh, it happens in the film a couple of times. It's just a little nugget you might pull out um, that two suburban families find themselves somewhat bored and unfulfilled and find refuge in sexual experimentation, both from the adults and children in the families and moments of obvious repression and inner unexpressed turmoil. And it takes the naturally occurring event of an ice storm to change these two families forever. There's a quote at the beginning of the movie uh, from Tobey Maguire's character that goes like this. He says, a family is like your own personal antimatter. Your family is the void you emerge from and the place you return to when you die. And that's the paradox. The closer you're drawn back in, the deeper into the void you go. And I feel like it sets the tone for this movie so well. And it is like right at the beginning when that happens. And the movie opens the same way that it ends. And I think that it's just, um, I don't know. It's kind of like you go full circle in this movie. Yeah. Just the way that it's set up. Well, thanks, Lindsay, for that. Um, so we'll go to a clip from the ice storm and we'll get into this very Thanksgiving, non-Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> yep. Well, it's great that we can all be together. And this Thanksgiving, no uh, yelling, no hysteria, especially with your grandpa not here. 
Well, we miss him. So let's do it right. And Wendy, uh, why don't you say grace? You still love to say grace, remember? Dear Lord, thank you for this Thanksgiving holiday and for all the material possessions that we have and enjoy and for letting us white people kill all the Indians and steal their Wendy. tribal lands and stuff ourselves like pigs, okay. even though children okay. in Asia are being napalmed. Okay. Jesus, enough, all right. So I do want to get into talking about director Ang Lee, but this movie to me is there is a lot going on and there is a lot of like intersection of characters and, and, and plot. Yes. So I just kind of wanted to like set up this, if you haven't seen it, a story about two families that are sort of like intertwined. We've got the hood family, which is Kevin Klein, uh, Joan Allen, Christina Ricci and Toby Maguire. And then we have the Carver family, which is Sigourney Weaver. Oh, gosh, what's her husband? Uh, Jamie Sheridan is her husband. And uh, Elijah Wood and Adam. The younger brother. Yeah, I can't younger, remember his name. Younger brother. But, um, and they're, they live, they're neighbors. Yes. And Kevin Klein has been uh, having an affair with uh, the Sigourney Weaver character mm-hmm. um, to his wife, is suspecting things but she doesn't really know and you can kind of you get the idea immediately the relationship that this these families have with their kids you know like there's a distance between um so both families sort of have sort of outgrown the idea of like what the family unit is the sort of idea of togetherness um they're they're that's no longer like seems to be like a concept that's like entering into they've sort of forgotten what that's all about yeah like a cohesive family which is also ironic that it's happening at thanksgiving too which is like a family time that all of the that they have the appearance of being a family but actually everybody's very kind of independent and off on their own and while the the hood family kevin klein and joan allen they have the most outward appearance of like what a wholesome family kind of would look like and then you have the Sigourney Weaver Carver family that is almost kind of ice cold and I just it's just kind of important to set this up so we understand yeah and and I think it's definitely evident like right away in the movie you get that you get that what this family is about and where they're where they are in their lives but uh, yeah we just wanted a little more uh context before we get into talking about the movie for this particular film, because yeah. I think it is important. So I guess first off, we wanted to talk about director Ang Lee, mm-hmm. um, who uh, this was his second American film. He, um, I think, got attention in Hollywood, a uh, Taiwanese director who got attention in Hollywood by directing Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which was um, an international hit. And mm-hmm. then... Um, interestingly enough, his next three American films were all period pieces with Sense and Sensibility, The Ice Storm, and Ride with the Devil. And uh, I, I don't know. It's interesting to me that uh, when a foreign director does a specific period piece in yeah. in America, like, um, and I think that uh, his sensibilities really help. Like, I, I think that, again, this isn't a movie that's, like, trying too hard to be the seventies. It's like, things are very subtle. And 
I watched a few interviews with Ang Lee this last few weeks and he's such a cool, you know, the interviews, he's so quiet and he's so soft spoken Mm -hmm. and it's so much like what this movie is like. I think it's just so rare that I've ever seen a director speak in an interview and there's such a reflection of that person's persona represented in their work and their film. And he even talked about being familiar with the notion of having repression or just suppressed feelings in the culture that he came from and family and how it was easy in some ways to impart that into the ice storm, into the, some of the themes in the ice storm. I think it is really funny to, to him to hit the nail. So on the head with just like, a bunch of just suburban white people like he he nailed it i mean it's very it's very wild to me yeah you know and 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 i think especially too i mean granted he uh was coming off of a big hit with sense and sensibility but like he wasn't it wasn't like he was directing a film with novice actors i mean he had a heavy huge hollywood cast i think any director would be a little bit intimidated when you're when you're directing a movie with this cast, I mean, even if you were well-established, I mean, I would assume that you're working with such great actors that you want to make sure that you're on top every single day. And from what I understand from the interviews I read with the actors, like he was just like so infatuated with making the movie and the script and like having them. I think he, uh, Kevin Klein said it was the first time since he had been in theater acting that someone had said, write a biography about he had them all write biographies yeah, all of, of their character like where they were <laughs> up to that point because he wanted to know what they thought where they were coming from and i think that that's uh, to, again like i've i've had very little experience like directing actors um but i think that there is a very interesting play between directing an actor and then pulling information and i think is like rudimentary is like having them deliver a biography he can read like okay this is where you're pulling from this is where you think this character went through to get to this point in their life and especially for a movie like this that is so heavy and it is so filled with these intricacies of characters I think that it it's interesting it's like it was so appropriate you know i think it is in some ways it's necessary for this movie because there is so much emotion and things that you're supposed to be reading into and also this history that is established that we are kind of get without without words so what what ang lee's trying to do is have us already understand exactly who this person is and I mean, I can see in some ways, you know, seasoned actors like Joan Allen and Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver can think of this as a little like, come on, I'm I'm past this. But in in a lot of ways, there were a, a few instances where Kevin Klein would, you know, do say say a line a particular way, and Ang's like, cool, but can you do it a little like? dial it back a little bit that's not really what we're going for so it's it's not to say that like these even though these are very seasoned actors the same thing with sense and sensibility it doesn't mean that that they're 
completely understanding the vision the whole time, even yeah. if they've been acting their whole life. Yeah, and I, and I know I said this in the beginning already, but Ang Lee's direction, he does get these more subtle performances. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going for the big s- scene. I mean, there's certainly, I think, particular scenes in the ice storm that I would say are these big emotional scenes, but again, they're, I know I've said this word like 10 times, but they're like, they're very subdued. It's like, they're very yeah. quiet. Um, he's not going for the big climactic, like yeah. monologue deliver. I mean, yeah. everybody's got these little snippets that they, that they spout off, but there's, yeah, there's not these like big monologue scenes. And to me, that is indicative of someone who's really can, you know, trying to build something here this is like something unique and i think this is a unique movie i think that this is definitely a little bit out of the ordinary and i mean i think that that's possible i mean this movie wasn't a big hit and i think that that's possibly one of the reasons why is because it doesn't really follow um the normal path that a big hollywood drama does um i think it has all the the components that a big Hollywood drama has Mm -hmm. but it doesn't follow your basic um even though there's a you know three act uh structure it 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 has its own way of dealing with situations that is very a little more like relaxed and quiet and the tone is very quiet and it doesn't uh it doesn't really um ever pull away from that um it isn't like a movie that shifts gears um, or the drama starts like 30, you know, during yeah. the second act, this yeah. is like, we're dropped right into a very already, uh, it's seedy, repressed, it's depressed repressed, situation. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a lot going on as soon as you get right into it. And I can't help but compare it, not compare it, but say that the same year that this came out was also when Titanic came out. And you have this epic drama that like built itself on ugh, God, um, just like rising action and dramatic music and all of this like build, build, build. And we also know what happened to the Titanic right. too. Um, what happened? <laughs> it's a ghost ship story, yeah. actually. Spoiler. There's a Titanic too. Yeah. Um, but I think it is really interesting that Titanic and the ice storm came out and like, we don't hear anything about the ice storm. It was just all this amazing emotion behind Titanic. But really like to me, I don't know, you're comparing the two. One seems so much more superficial than the other. Like I watched the ice storm and within the first couple of minutes you're dropped into like, Whoa, this world is intense. And in some ways, you know, Titanic or a, a movie that does follow that formula, we're we're pulled along to where and we're guided to where we're supposed to feel or what we're supposed to feel. And in some ways, the fact that we're kind of drifting along with the ice storm is the same as what's happening to all the characters in the movie, too. This movie feels a little more like its own. It was trying to do its own thing. And and unfortunately, it seems to be, you know, 50% of the time, the movies that try to do that are the <laughs> ones that just don't, aren't hits. They just, they don't connect with the audience right away. And I can certainly see why this film didn't connect 
right away with an audience because it is a very drab movie and it is a very dark subject matter. And I think some of this cuts right down to the bone. I think that's a, I think it makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. And I sometimes when you have a movie that makes people uncomfortable, they're automatically going to recoil or not or close off in some way because it hits too close to home. To me, though, I'm always drawn to those types of movies. You know, certainly, I, I, you know, when I think of like an adult drama like this deals yeah. with adult subject matter in adults who have spent some time with children. They're not like new to this. This is we're we're we're, in, we're involved in the universe that it's it's humans that have been adults for a while. Their kids are all past the age of like infancy. They're like, you know, all have like this like middle school teenage yeah like and and like you know they're interested in sex they're interested in drugs they're interested in means of escape which is something that like isn't really i think something that enters into the mind of somebody until you reach a certain age of like yeah i'm looking for a means of escape from you get a sense of like okay something here if you're lucky you know i mean like you're you're (laughs) You know, if, uh, if if you're lucky that you can make it to ten or twelve or whatever yeah. teenager, and and in the thought of the thought doesn't enter your head of like I need a means of escape via you know gratification or drugs or something to take my mind off you know what's going on around yeah. me that is not good that is that is something you know you, the sense of something is not right, and I think that this movie plays with that notion of all these characters are experiencing that moment. They're just starting to the realization that their lives are not where they should be or where they want them or that they don't know if they're happy or the idea of happiness or unhappiness is all settling in at once. And I think this movie to me is like that interpretation of like that moment in an individual's life where you question your actual happiness or like your, your, you know, your, your moment life, which is pretty deep. You know, yeah. pretty heavy. And sometimes that's not exactly what people are looking for when they go when they go see a movie. Sometimes though, when you see reality reflected back to you or your reality reflected back to you, it's cathartic. And I for me, I I feel like there are a lot of elements of the ice storm that could maybe make someone feel since all of these characters a lot of them really feel alone. I feel like seeing that could somehow kind of maybe make someone identify with it even more, but they have to be open to it. Yeah, and when I think and I think too it's it's a movie that really highlights the stages we go through in life where you you could one way you could look at this movie is like a lot of these characters are just like absolutely despicable and in some sense they are. You know, some of their actions and their beliefs and like the way, you know, I mean, like one could look at it that way. But I think that this is a movie that like examines the characters. It doesn't put a label on like a villain. It doesn't put a label on, you know, this is the hero. This is a very it, it walks a sort of like fine ethical line between the characters in the movie and I think that's why it's Do you a movie. think there's an ethical line in this movie? I saw I, I I definitely believe so. Yeah. I think that there's I don't think it's a movie that is choosing sides. Yeah. But I certainly believe that to me it feels especially when we talk about the ending, I do believe that it is towing this line to say 
and I and I think the ethical line is adultery. You know, what I mean, yeah. like I think that it's evident through the movie of like there's people taking sides. There's like the the with the key party. There's a couple that backs out at the last minute, and then there's the moment where Kevin yeah. Klein, uh, his character who has been yeah. having infidelity with his wife, the guy suggests that I wish uh, some some of these folks with the brother daughters with them and you can see Kevin Klein it sort of like smacks him in the face a little bit like that guy's despicable yeah <laughs> but you know you kind of get the sense of like what he's doing is despicable but like what that you know he looks at that guy is like that guy's just Something like else. Wait, so I so I do feel like there's these these moments where there is I do feel like there's like this line of ethics that is drawn in the movie but I don't think that it's just like finite line of like yeah here's the side this movie is taking here's like you know if you make these choices in your life your life's going to be totally crap. yeah yeah agreed agreed on that i do think that it might be good to set up also the these uh just like a little rundown if you haven't seen uh the movie just real quickly like who who are the actors or who are the characters in these families well let's go let's go to another clip and then we'll we'll then we'll we'll get into the discussion of the cast we'll we'll give we'll get you familiar i know we feel feel like we got a little ahead of ourselves but this is good i like i like getting getting a little deeper than we normally do yeah this is good yeah so we'll go to a clip and then we'll come back we'll talk about uh who the cast is for this and then we'll get into the cast what the hell happened? A prior engagement overcame me. What? Listen, Benjamin Hood, I have obligations that precede yours. From before you showed up. I mean, one or two good-natured encounters, that doesn't mean I'm not just some toy for you. When I remembered some chores I wanted to get done before the party, I just did them, that's all. Because I wanted to get them done before I saw Jimmy. Jimmy? Jimmy? I'm not sure how to take this. What, what do you mean, Jimmy? I thought you and your husband had... How you take it isn't all that interesting to me, Benjamin. Sorry. So, uh, really want to talk about the cast uh, here for a little bit. Um, I really... A, what's that? It's such a prominent cast. Like, every, everyone in this, whether they already were at the time or they came to be in the future, like, is... is uh, such a dignified great actor yeah i think every performance in this movie is great mm-hmm. and even two performers that i'm not even fans of which is toby mcguire and kitty holmes i think mm-hmm. that they everybody puts in just a very unique yeah. just a very uh natural and in purposeful performance this was katie holmes first movie was it i, I believe didn't, so. i didn't know yeah. that okay yeah um but Joan Allen, Kevin Klein, I, I, Sigourney Weaver, obviously, like Christina Ricci, I love. Like I just think yeah. everybody and Elijah Wood, I think they all give these very, again, I've used the word like these subtle, understated performances. That's what this um, movie is: is yeah. subtle and, and understated. I think that I think that um, everybody is functioning together to give off the sense that there's something brewing. The actors performances are what causes this boil that happens yeah. that, that like basically works its way up from the first and second act into the third act where you know we, we have this crazy and, at the, at the, and even that's not this big explosion it's not like a big boom it's 
itself is at the same time this is also coinciding with the beginning and like client like beginning rising action and climax of the actual ice storm that's happening so all of this is brewing at the same time that the storm is beginning yeah and i think you could pretty clearly and easily say metaphorically that yeah in ice storm you know this quiet beautiful seemingly harmless thing because can also be deadly and like specifically i think the two like the three main uh, actors here we've got kevin klein uh and his and his wife played by joan allen i think that their performances they really drive the movie like they're the divide in their marriage kevin klein's so great because he does have this like kind of goofiness that he does yeah um, but there is a particular scene where he, and I, and I think I've like, was like mentioned this the, earlier, the, ba- the bathroom scene, um, not the bathroom scene. It's the scene where she, it, it, she like starts, she's obviously starting to suspect Joan Allen, his, Joan wife. Allen his wife is starting to suspect that he cheats on her uh-huh. and the lies that he gives her. And we, as an audience have already seen that he's like been cheating on her with Sigourney Weaver, but the lies that he gives her are so lame, <laughs> Yeah, you know, they're so lame yeah. and they're so like, he hasn't even thought of it because in, but I think that Kevin Klein plays his character in the perfect way that I get the sense that like he in his mind is -hmm. doing no wrong. Yeah. And because he doesn't feel like he's doing anything is wrong. He, because I think we all have, you know, I've talked about this before, like on the podcast, like in movies, like, you know, you can see that moment when self-preservation kicks in where you feel like you're in danger. You will immediately, your mind is like, will think of things to like, you know, like, whether you call it a lie or whatever, you know, you like you kick into like, I have to do this to protect myself first yeah. before anything yeah. else. And I really think that this movie conveys that time period where, you know, especially with men where they, that especially in marriages where they, it, that there was that dominance of where he, in his mind, he was doing no wrong. It's like, it's something that all these men are doing. And so like, he doesn't feel, because he wasn't, he wasn't planning on leaving his wife. Right. Yeah. And, and he doesn't, no. so he doesn't even feel the, it necessary to create a alternate lie no. or like a plan C or a plan D. Like he's just like, Oh yeah, it's the, yeah, it's a new aftershave. It's like musk or something. It's so stupid. It's like in, in, when you're watching you're like this is like so ridiculous but it but it really i think drives home the sense and especially when he lies about the oh yeah i was at her house because i had to return this coffee mug you know and and, no one believes that and and it's just it's so it's just so ridiculous these characters obviously care Mm -hmm. about their family but maybe they're no longer the first thing on their minds you know like now again we've talked about this like this escapism this gratification um they're more thinking about themselves. They're putting themselves before their families, which I think really at this time period was, you know, the seventies, it was now. I mean, I, I I think this was like, maybe, maybe I'm going too far. Maybe I'm wrong here, but it's like the last decade where like divorce was still kind of like frowned upon. Like, I think like divorce now is like pretty, it's like, Oh yeah, my parents got divorced. Like everybody, you know, most parents are divorced, but like this was a time where it's like, that was like, that's not an option. We're not going to do that. So anything, any infidel, anything that happens, whether be, we're just going to ignore it or we're going to address it or 
we're going to sidestep it until like either this whole thing falls apart or we're living miserable lives, but we're not going to get divorced. I, I think right there, that is so much on what this movie hits on as far as from the two main adult women perspective, we feel like Joan Allen feels com- like completely like repressed and like what else is she going to do? She's clearly unhappy and like not enthused about being in her relationship, but she's not going to do anything else. She also knows her husband's cheating on her, but she can't she can't find it within herself to be like you're cheating on me. F- you know, fess up to it. She can't bring herself to actually do that and Sigourney Weaver is so like I find myself in this marriage. I'm not very happy. I'm not completely unhappy, but it's 1973. What else am I going to do with my life? Here's where I am. The same thing with Joan Allen. They both feel like trapped. What else am I going to do? And at this point in this generation, this was something that was a very, very real thing of feeling trapped and feeling like, I don't know what else to do. Divorce is frowned upon. Like, uh, is is anyone going to even be with me if I were a divorcee? Like, there's so many things that, that play into this when we're talking about 1973. And I think that it's very important when watching this movie to think about it, like really think about it from that perspective and the, the sense of feeling trapped and feeling alone is so real is so real and and from a male perspective in Kevin Klein I mean Sigourney Weaver's husband's just like peace out like he's not he's not really checked into anything right. really but Kevin Klein is just kind of you know he's not doing anything wrong he's just going about his day it, I think that there's a the scene that I think is the strongest in the ice storm yeah. which is uh, kind of what you're referencing here um it's where it's clear to Joan Allen that she knows that Kevin Klein's cheating on her and mm-hmm. they have a scene in the kitchen where it's oh yeah she doesn't another, want yeah. to she doesn't she doesn't want to cause a scene but Kevin Klein it's the first time he's feeling like just the remote moment of guilt but he's still beating around the bush he's beating around a bush but he i think quoting him he says uh technically it's not what you're thinking because she doesn't want to have the conversation. She says, please at least have decency to not tell me what I'm thinking. And then we just like, yeah, we, we, it cuts there. And I think that moment is like the first time, uh, you see the strength of Joan Allen. I think from Mm -hmm. then on, you know, we see, she's like, you know what I've accepted. I'm I'm not, I'm no longer like toying with this notion. Like I'm not going to play this. Like I'm not going to play the dumb housewife. So like they, she goes to the party and, there's this, uh, I think we referenced like key party, this thing mm-hmm. that was, uh, key party, you throw your, you throw all your car keys into a bowl and then like you pick a key out and then whoever's keys, car keys you pick out, you go home with. Yeah. And so they, they, this idea early in the film is yeah. like talked about. And so they decide to make this, it's volunteer, volunteer <laughs> like you. Yeah. And she says, you know, they have a, her and her husband have a scene and she's like, you Joan Allen's like throws her keys to the woman. She puts it in the the fishbowl. This is or, this is you know, after the, they have an altercation. Yeah, where they're like, I already know what you're doing. Well, yeah. don't even tell me what I'm doing. Basically, yeah. And I and I I think that the the last and this will kind of get us into our last 
part mm-hmm. here of like the ending of the film, which mm-hmm. um, I will say at this point, if you haven't seen the movie, you may want to like just like skip ahead to our pick of the week. But this is a very to me, it's like I, I don't like at first I didn't know how I didn't know when I saw this movie in the theater. And this is the, that up until like we talked about doing this for the podcast. The last time I had seen this movie, though, I remember it being a very interesting effective movie i remember not knowing how i felt about the ending Mm, and it took me multiple viewings of this in the last few weeks to kind of like wrap my head around of how i feel about the ending because it is very subversive and i think it is a very (laughs) bold ending you know it is um and i was curious like what you you know like the end i guess we can say like if you you know you're familiar if you're familiar with this movie go hold on before we get to that I want to just bring everybody into where like, okay, we're talking about, we're talking about confronting people on infidelity. We're talking about key parties. We're talking about kids, like sexually experimenting with other kids right now. We're in the middle of the ice storm, the actual ice storm that's happening. So everything outside of these homes is covered in ice. And this is the crux of the movie yeah. this is the rising action this is the impending climax and i and i think that the to me again like going back to easily being able to say the ice storm is metaphorical to mm-hmm. the themes in the plot no one in this film deems this ice storm as any anything of a nuisance or <laughs> any sort of like problem there was you know, like one time joan allen's like to toby mcguire's like um, I know you're taking a train to New York. Just get a cab home because there's going to be yeah. a storm. No but big even, deal. Even before <laughs> Joan Allen has a the infidelity moment with her next door neighbor, the yeah. Sigourney Weaver's husband, when he's like, "Well, let's go for a drive." Yeah. I remember like thinking, totally. like, well, "What are these people no. thinking?" But then we see <laughs> that it's like, "Oh!" But then he continues to like go ahead and drive her home. There's never a moment I feel like where any of these characters feel like they're in danger of this ice storm. Um, and to me that really plays on that sort of the metaphor of like, no one really realizes all these little the, interactions, actions they're doing are like causing harm. Yeah. The implications like, of what they're yeah, doing. But like, yeah. It's, it's very, very dangerous, uh, you know, playing with this and not thinking about the dangers will, will can, can be deadly. And, and I also think that too, when we're talking about infidelity, when we're talking about any form of cheating it is very easy to get wrapped up in that exp- in that uh, emotion in that feeling of just like immediacy or just even like a first love feeling or whatever where we forget what's going on outside what's going on around us and so there's cl- very clearly an ice storm like like um even we even see when Sigourney Weaver's husband's like, yeah, let's go for a drive. He and Joan Allen go outside. They've got an umbrella and they're slipping and sliding all over. They get in a car and they're like, oh, we can't go anywhere because it's covered in ice. But still, that is not like, oh, this isn't safe. Yeah. This it's, isn't safe. This is not yeah. something we should be doing right now. Yeah. And I and I think that this sort so we have the, like the last 20 minutes of this film, the ice storm descends. Mm-hmm. Uh it it causes each character like the Elijah Wood, the the son of Sigourney Weaver, goes out into this to to 
presumably it, maybe meet up with with Christina Ricci, right. maybe just to like but experience. But he is fascinated. He is fascinated. Yeah. He's caught up in the magic of this ice storm and ultimately ends up dying by via electrocution from a power line that hits a rail that he's leaning against. And I think that, the, the, you know, and that's in leading up to the end of this movie. Again, this is like why it's like a death in the movie, especially like one like this one. You're never expecting a death. In yeah. This movie, and, ever. and not only that, it's like it's almost so heavy. And I, I, a movie that this reminded me of when I was watching it the, yeah. the first the first time I watched it for the podcast, it reminded me of My Girl which I know is like kind of wild, but I mean, that's a movie where the death okay. of a child is like yeah. plays. It's not something you're expecting. And it's like of all the things that are happening in this movie, like the death of a child is not something that I can't watch this movie, that movie till this day. Yeah. And, and, and but I think that, and, that, and I think that the death of a child is something like if you're going to go for something heavy in a movie, it's like, there's very little that you can go beyond that. And, in, Especially of an innocent. Yes. In this and, way, we're and this talking. is one where yeah. we're talking like the child is brought home to his dad, and you know, what I mean, and and to me, like the the one scene, and I know I said like the first time I watched this, I was taking notes, I wasn't as emotionally connected, but the second time I watched this, when Sigourney Weaver is awoken to the sounds of her sobbing husband, and she, in 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 and we don't actually see so. Her get up, her husband's sobbing because Kevin Klein has brought his dead, the husband's. Kevin Klein found Elijah Wood yeah. electrocuted in the street. Yeah. Brought his dead body. Walked to, walked yeah. his dead body yeah. home. Yeah. Brought it to his Elijah Wood's father. Yeah. Elijah Wood's father's sobbing. Yeah. And and you hear and then we cut to her awakening to the sobs and to me, that was a very it's a very it was a very visceral scene and it's very yeah. quick but i think it it is it's just like overbearing almost um and that's why like when we get down so like after um toby toby mcguire kevin klein and and joan allen's son has spent the the evening with his friends and he his train gets delayed and when he the very end of the movie he was supposed to get home at like 11 p.m. but he gets home in like in the morning and after this death of Elijah Wood, they show up as an entire family to pick him up from the train station. Presumably also delayed because I mean, I always took this to mean that the train stopped because the electricity went out because it was on the same line uh, as where I never, uh, Elijah I never Wood. really thought of that. It, it coincides with I, the editing. No, I see. I see what you're saying. Cause it does take a while before they cut back to Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Cause it's like Elijah Wood gets electrocuted then it's like one scene later, Elijah Wood's train electricity cuts out. He's hanging there on the track, and that's why he gets in later. So it's it's like he's affected by this, but he's right. also like very adjacent from it. That would make more sense to me why they decided to use that particular scene to open the movie and then come back yeah. to it. No, I never, I, I didn't think about that. That's that's interesting. That's what I'm assuming yeah. anyway. No, that makes total sense. Uh, you know, this ending is to me. You know, we have the ending like Kevin Klein, Joan Allen, Christina Reacher, they're waiting for him. Toby Maguire smiles. We've already established that like he feels like disconnected from his family. Sure. That the family's like all in their own worlds. But he has a smile on his face and walks down yeah. and they get into the car and Kevin Klein looks back at Toby Maguire and just starts breaking down and sobbing. Yeah. And 
it cuts back to Tommy McGuire looking at his father and then it just cuts to black. I mean, it's also the only time that we see Kevin Klein really, aside from being drunk, right? Like uh, really emote any type of yes, emotion. Ha- yeah, have have any sort of like, and and I think that's why I think the first time I watched it, like I didn't get the power behind that mm-hmm. because I think maybe I was I was younger when this movie came out and like it didn't it didn't dawn on me. And even the first the the first time I watched it. I was trying to get behind the ending because I was like, man, this is is a very bold. It's just, it's (laughs) not, I mean, it's not open-ended, but in the way it is, because obviously you've been on this long ride and you're like, what, what happened? You know what I mean? Like, did she, did their marriage work? What happened? Like, you don't, you're not given that information. And so it's not a closed, it's like, again, like I said, it's not, it's not your typical Hollywood drama where everything is like wrapped up nicely Mm -hmm. for you. Like where, the end credits roll and like you feel 100% satisfied because you're like, well, I know what happened at the end of that story, but this one, I, I don't know. Did they get a divorce? I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is, is that there is that mm. moment where you feel everything coming. You feel yeah. all, all of this has boiled down to this moment. And that's why I think it's a yeah. bold ending because it's, there's this moment of clarity even though you, you we don't get you don't get the satisfaction of knowing where these characters what happens to them there's no end of the story there is a moment of clarity where you come to realize like Kevin Klein's character has taken stake he's like realizing everything that he's done he's like yeah. he's like looking at his life and in that moment like that all comes like crashing down yeah. and that's pretty powerful and i think that's really i think that's really hard thing to do in a movie like to put that much stake in one particular scene, mm-hmm. especially the final moment in the movie without giving any sort of yeah. post, you know, I mean, yeah. all, like even in movies that have done that, they've even done like an epilogue or something, you know, <laughs> and it's like this one's yeah. just like, Nope, you're not getting it, you know? And I, I think it's really bold. And yeah. it, it was an ending that I felt like unsatisfying the first time I saw this movie. And now like, I think it's like, just like this, like amazing, like brilliant ending. I, for me, I mean, clearly, when Kevin Klein breaks down, I break down um, at the end of this movie. And even though it feels like there is not, there's not a clear ending to it, it's like for everybody in that car when he breaks down and cries, it's like Joan Allen's looking at him for the first time, and she's been through these things that he doesn't even know about, you know. And then you've got Christina Ricci who's just lost this boy that she was like sexually involved with, which is like a whole weird thing when you're an adolescent to like lose someone that is a close friend. And also like one of your first sexual experiences, that's completely friggin' bizarre. And then you've got Tobey Maguire, who's kind of clueless and been removed from the entire situation, but his love interest has just reinforced the fact that he's looked at like a brother you know, we didn't really get into the whole Katie Holmes and Tobey Maguire yeah, aspect. So, it's, there's so much going on in this movie; it'd be hard. It's We'd like, have to spend like two yeah, hours. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's like another part of the plot, but it's not as like involved as what we're talking about. But like he's gone through his own thing, so everybody in that car has gone through some type of transformation or gone through something, some type of emotion that they like were not prepared for. And then we've got Elijah Wood dead his dad breaking down and Sigourney Weaver 
who I can only presume is like not getting up out of bed like that scene because she's like not wanting to deal with whatever sad moment. Maybe, maybe her husband's breaking down because, you know, she went off with a dude from the key party, right? Maybe that's what she's, if I were her, that's what I would be assuming. I wouldn't be assuming that my kid is dead. So yeah, yeah. That's, I feel like that's a safe assumption. And, and I feel like also she is a parent in this movie. She's not, she's not a crappy parent. I mean, she is removed emotionally, but I don't, th- I, I, I think that she actually does care. I think she doesn't know how to relate to her children, but I think that she wants to, but she also kind of relates to them as like, she thinks they should already be adults or something like that. Or she just, there's like a certain, there's a certain wall there. Yeah. I, for sure, whether or not, I mean, we don't see how she's going to react to the death of her son, but I think that there's a guaranteed reaction that it's, it's not going to be a cold one. I mean, I would assume. Yeah, and, well, and that's, and I think that's where this ending leaves us with yeah. is like, even the a sociopathic lot of us, brother of Elijah yeah. Woods, like has a tear in his eye. I you think know? That, that that's what this movie leaves you with is like, it leaves you with more assumptions than it leaves you with answers. It leaves you with the idea that maybe it might be a 10% growth among all of these people, but they're all growing emotionally or they're all, changing they're all going through some type of metamorphosis that's like this experience this calm after the storm has left us with an explosion of the disarray that our that our lives were in before and now we're dealing with the aftermath you know i can't believe i hadn't thought of this until like right now it's funny to me that this movie came out two years prior to american beauty and american beauty like racked home like Oscar nom like after another and that was all about the disintegration of like the suburban family life emotional turmoil things brewing under the surface and while I love that movie I really do I love so many things about it there's something that feels a little like heavy-handed yeah yeah and it's almost like i I, like i'm I'm not i'm not at all at all putting putting down american beauty at all um no i I think i get what you're saying here totally like like, this uh, uh, the ice storm feels so much more honest and i think it's it's almost more like it's way more ripping open a vein than American Beauty because American Beauty feels like what's what's palatable, what's going to be um, okay for people to yeah. watch, what's going to be reassuring or, or something like well, that. Well, I, I think it, uh, I mean, if we're going down this path of American Beauty, I think American Beauty in the first five minutes you have Kevin Spacey's character saying, yeah. masturbating in the shower is going to be the highlight of my day. That's, I mean, you start off, you've got a comedy element anyway. But but, but, I mean, but you're giving, you're giving everything, you're giving like this sort of, like, again, it it comes down Mm -hmm. to like the subtleties. I think like, it was why I think the ice storm is more, is effective in a sense that it hits you harder because you're not given that. I hadn't really thought this whole through, this whole thought through first, but yeah, it, it is that you're right. It's heavy handed versus the ice storm where it's almost like 
like okay american right. beauty like what we were talking about with titanic like you're being led along with yeah. with this movie and 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 the ice storm you're experiencing it with them and right. if there's any part of you that is in any one of these characters you can automatically put yourself in yeah. that role and i think too like a movie and not to go i mean i'm just kind of going like real far here but like in comparing it because i think there are a lot of compare and contrast with american beauty but like just going as far as like what I was saying with the ending of, of, of the ice storm with American beauty, you have a narrator and anytime there's a narrator mm -hmm. in a story, in a movie, you have to have, you have, I, I immediately know when a narrator starts talking, this movie's going to have like this closure <laughs> ending because the narrator, the narrator yeah. is telling me the story. So this is going to be a story story. This yeah, isn't going to yeah, be, yeah. there can be no open ending. This then after I listen to a narrator, I can hear him go. And then I don't know what happened. That never had anytime there's a narrator, they're giving you the facts. Okay. 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 Uh, okay. okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not debating it, but I'm just saying, like, no, no, no. I, you're helping. You're helping my yeah, brain formulate. Yeah, exactly. Work through it. Um, no, I, I think that that's again just, I guess, reinforcing the fact that the ice storm is so honest and guttural, and just like why it makes people feel uncomfortable is is because of its just like kind of unpolished honesty. Yeah. And I, I, and I think there's a lot to be said about, like you said, like, you know, like this isn't a movie that like rip opens the wounds right away. It doesn't expose yeah. itself immediately. No. Um, even though we, there is this impending sense of dread, it's not this immediate thing. And there's not necessarily one particular scene that says, this is how effed up everything is in our lives. Um, yeah. it's a slow descend, but then, and, and that's why I think that, it is a movie that is very evocative without having to be very action oriented. Yeah. And even as we're, we're watching it in the background now, like, we've talked a lot about uh, the adult relationships in this movie and the infidelity. Um, there is a, an equal amount of time that's spent on the Christina, Christina Ricci character being sexually involved with Elijah Wood and his younger brother. I mean, separately, but um, but those like sexual awakening experiences, and I think also, I think that makes people uncomfortable too, especially when it's talked about in a way that's not predatory and it's not, it's just like something that's like natural that happens, you know. Yeah, I think it's a very I think showing, and it's funny that not funny, but it's coincidental that we just got done talking about kids, kids. <laughs> and this is another movie that deals with like yeah young kids like yeah. dealing with sexuality yeah in what i would consider the ice storm being a more tasteful uh <laughs> like yeah alteration of that <laughs> yes you know um in hop skip and a jump over from new york yeah, and yeah, connecticut and, but you know things but, had, but, but things change but it's <laughs> but to me it's like it is uncomfortable and there are scenes in the ice storm that I do think are uncomfortable yeah. because they're reminiscent of that, you know, sort of fumbling around and like, you don't really know like what's appropriate and what's not, you know, like you're not, you've, you know, and this is, I think a movie that really shows yeah. what's not, what's not been taught to be what's appropriate, what's not yeah. there. There's this weirdness, you know, and I think it, it's, you know, you see the, it carried on between from the parents down to the kids. You yeah. Know? Exactly. And I think it also 
um, adds to this whole idea throughout the entire movie that the parents are the kids, the kids are the parents, they are all the same. They're Very all much. reinventions of each yeah. other. And in some ways, the kids are more honest versions of their parents, and their parents are acting more like children. Yeah. I think, like, no matter who you are, you're going to... It's, 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 it's a film that's difficult not to have some sort of self-reflection. Yeah. I think there's there's a little bit of everything in here that we, as humans, yeah. trying to evolve in some way or another, uh, you know, we hit these little milestones or these little moments of... Um, failures and this movie puts all those on display yeah Whew. i'm really glad we got to talk about this one yeah. well, i've 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 seen this movie countless times and uh I, I i can't even count how many times but um there's never one moment where i don't end up in tears and not like well, not like dancer in the dark tears but right. like but like feeling it well i'm happy that you reintroduced this film in my life because this was not one that I was really thinking about for doing, you know, discussing. And I think you mentioned it some, somewhere down the line and then <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot it. You know, this I'm is, glad you wanted to talk you know, about it. So yeah. I, I, this has been great. I'm glad we did this one, but we have to, the, yeah, we got to longer. We, we got to move on. Um, we have to move on to our, to our, our picks of the week. Maybe at the um, end we'll tell you a favorite scene about yeah. that. All right. All right. I've got mine. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, Well, let's move on to our picks of the week. Um, Again, uh, if you haven't seen the ice storm, I can't recommend it enough, especially if you're, if you're looking for some serious drama. Um, And if you haven't seen it in a while, it is one, again, I hadn't seen it since it came out. I've watched it twice in the last few weeks and it really affected me in a big way. And it was really, it's really been a movie that, um, it's just so well designed and it's such a well acted film. I mean, it's, it, uh, it, well acted it, yeah. and like Ang Lee's vision is, is clearly yeah. imprinted on every, every single step yeah. of this movie. So, um, check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, so our picks of the week, I chose Dave, which also starred, uh, Sigourney Weaver in Kevin Klein, which is just the the opposite of 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 the Ice Storm, and also a film that I had not, like I said, I had had not never seen. But I love that somehow you kinda, escaped that. What was Dave ninety ninety three? It was ninety three, and I think it was one of those movies that like there was so many of those sort of like president political movies that came out in the nineties, yeah. and I and I honestly thought that I had seen it. I was about halfway through this one, I was like, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen this movie. Um, <laughs> And I really enjoyed it. I had to, I kind of, there's a lot, well, I'll get into it, but what was your pick? Of the you know, week? you know, at the movie screening, the double feature thing I used to do, I did the Ice Storm and Dave, because I loved the fact that I Sigourney- I don't remember, I don't remember you doing I don't, that. I don't think you yeah. can, um, but I loved the fact that Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein were yeah. in two movies together. They were so completely different. They are so completely, I mean, yeah. just like wildly yeah, different. Yeah, wildly different. <laughs> Um, um, and you did, um, I did gorillas in the gorillas mist. In mist, which is a movie that I have like I said, I've not seen. Ugh. Um, oh. so I'm awaiting your, I would not advise watching the ice storm and gorillas in the mist back and forth or not back and forth, but back to back. I, even though I did, um, I'm fine doing it, but I mean, yeah. I don't know. I've also seen them both before. Yeah. So I might wait a week. Yeah. Wait, wait a week. I'll, For sure. I'm still getting over <laughs> my digestion of the storm. <laughs> Multiple viewings. 
I mean, they're both yeah. beautiful films too. Well, tell me, uh, tell me about Gorillas, Gorillas in the Mist. Gorillas in the Mist. Okay. Um, so maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't seen it before, but maybe you've heard of this biopic about um, legendary primatologist and conservationist Diane Fossey. Um, real life human, wonderful woman. Um, 1988's Gorillas in the Mist is partially based upon Fossey's book of the same name, though the film does somewhat tone down her as a person and makes her seem kind of like one of us, when in real life she was kind of she's kind of so much more not to put other people down but like she's she's a lot more than the average person um it is a gut-wrenchingly true film um that stars sigourney weaver as we already said um who evidently we just can't stop adoring this podcast i mean it's just gonna keep going on who knows about what's gonna happen in that murray moment i don't know um this film follows Fossey's journey into the Virunga Mountains of Rwanda. So she's studying and steadily becoming the most outspoken advocate and vigilante against poaching of the gorillas of the region. Now, this movie does clock in a little over two hours in uh, a little over two hours. And Justin, I know how you feel about um, timing of movies, but it does cover as many aspects of her life in the almost 20 years of researching and and being lovingly consumed with an intense passion for gorillas and ultimately concluding with her tragic and mysterious murder in 1985. What fuels this movie is the underlying notion of wanting to understand what humans are and what made us this way. This is also a very much anti-poaching film. It's not heavy-handed, um, it's intended to not assault you with disturbing visuals, though there are quite a few, um, but it's more meant to make you feel and understand why conservation of these animals is so important. This movie is not about talking about conservation, it's about the actual act of doing and protecting these gorillas. As with pretty much any film starring Weaver, it's impossible to imagine anyone else except her portraying Diane Fossey. I'm, I'm definitely not alone in this observation. She's completely perfect in embodying Fossey's passion and dedication, as well as resembling, like she actually does look like her, with very little effort. Um, I counted at least eight times um, her performance and or uh, a super emotional, emotionally like taxing scene brought me to tears. This movie is extremely effective in that way, especially if, especially if you're an animal lover. While this film does leave us with wanting to know more about Fosse as a person, Weaver does uh, do her very best uh, to show us the empathetic side, the fearless warrior, and the woman with a huge heart who wants to right so many wrongs in the world. What we learn about Fosse seems almost unimaginable. Someone unafraid of challenging government, poachers, and not to mention hanging out with, hanging out with and communicating with gorillas. I mean, what? Who does that, you know? Um... I think Gorillas in the Mist really does Diane Fossey's uh, legacy legend. There's also something really cool to know about this movie in that it was shot on the same land as Fossey's research center that she that she started and like grew from the ground up. And while there are some actors in gorilla suits in the movie, there is a very, very substantial portion of shots in the movie that feature actual gorillas that Fossey herself knew and was accepted by and that Weaver like hung out with. Like she could like name the gorillas that Diane Fossey knew. 
And as you might imagine, this film is very beautiful, almost magical, almost in its feel, not just the not just the mist you see in the background. It is a very magical and beautiful movie. And as the audience, we're totally absorbed by the breathtakingly gorgeous jungle and countryside. Um, so while this film is not the easiest watch, I feel like it's a super important one. There's obviously a reason that Diane Fossey should not be forgotten. I mean, the woman's responsible for gorillas still being in existence today. And if you don't take my word for it, know that since this film was completed, that Weaver herself has served as the honorary chair on the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. So that's kind of, I don't know, it kind of says a little bit. This movie is very much based on what happened in Diane Fossey's life, her miraculous accomplishments in understanding gorilla behavior and also preventing the inevitable extinction of gorillas that they faced at the time. Um, I never leave this movie with a dry eye. Um, it ends it ends very abruptly, but I don't know how else you would end this movie other than you're seeing this entire struggle of Diane Fossey all over these gorillas, and then the movie ends with her death. I, uh, I'm really wanting to see this movie. <laughs> oh, a couple of things I have to say. Yeah, One, yeah, yeah. Um, how long after this movie, because I, I don't know too much about this film, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, and I figured I'd just wait till you do your pick of the week and then I would oh, watch God, it. I hope I can answer. My, yeah. But I, I was curious how long after post her life was this film made? Mm. So um, when Diane Fossey was murdered, there was actually, I forget the name of the person, um, but someone was coming out to talk to her. She had already signed away her rights to a movie being written about her and everything. And someone was actually coming out to talk to her about it when they had, like they were like literally on the plane when they had gotten word that she had been murdered. So that was like 85. This movie came out in 88. So I would assume, I would assume at least a year, if not before. I mean, so and this is a pretty much right on top. It's pretty much right on top of it. Wow. Um, another thing that's crazy to me is that, like I said, like this movie was like filmed like where she spent almost 20 years of her life. Um, and it was like the directors, like that's what he wanted to do. He wasn't going to do it anywhere else or with like, you know, a whole cast of people in gorilla suits. It was going to be actually like there that, all and you know Justin you've made movies before all of the equipment all of the filming equipment was they because of I I forget if it was like the government or like airspace or whatever but like they had to go through one hell of a lot of paperwork to in order to film there but also all of the film equipment was trekked in like hand like by people like on their shoulders no easy task no and it was like it's like it's hiking in the mountains yeah. it's insane well that's fascinating that it was so because a lot of times with bios and i i've uh, sometimes i have a hard time with bio movies because yeah. it's a lot of the whole like printing the legend thing you know like sure. um it's i, I think a bio like this of, of someone that maybe a majority of people are not familiar with. It's yeah. it, it, especially now, like 
I mean, especially if you find history fascinating, like you'll want to, you know, learn the real story of whether, not just the thing of like how close it is to the movie, but just it sparks that interest in that, you know, this is a story that, um, is significant, but wasn't, you know, I mean, like probably was big in the media at the time, but like now when we're, you know, we said this came out in 1988, we're, you know, 30 years later, like, is this something that people are aware of? Like that, that that Diane Fossey's story or like of gorillas in the mist. So this, I think this is a great movie to kind of talk about and re and evaluate, you know, re um, ignite some interest. Yeah. I think that at, at the time and maybe like, you know, in the nineties, like Diane Fossey was like someone that, that people talked about as far as like conservationist. And, and, uh, I think that in the late eighties and the nineties, the Diane Fossey was definitely someone that people talked about and Jane Goodall too. I think that in a lot of ways, Diane Fossey was so much more extreme and I don't mean extreme in a bad way, but I mean, if you watch the movie, like there, there are things that happen in the movie um, that are very extreme that, that really did happen in real life. Like she made, she made people like poachers think that she was a witch, you know, so they would stay away she people that w- killed gorillas that she had been with for years like she she burned down their friggin huts like she was yeah this is this she is was not messing I, around I, I need to see i gotta see it <laughs> no it's yeah. I, I think out of all biopics i think that um gorillas in the mist is one that's it's not going to be something that you're ever bored by or you look at like oh a boring period piece like right. it's it's nothing like that. It is it takes place in a jungle. It's dirty and it's kind of an adventure and it's also like super heartwarming and also very sad at the same time. If you're an animal lover, you should see it and then like go volunteer at an animal shelter. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for uh thanks for doing that one. I'm I'm this is one I'm like really excited. I've got it on VHS, out. but that's the only one yeah. I format I have no, it on. But... I have a VHS. Okay. Yeah, I thought so, you did. That's why yeah. I didn't bring it. So well, I'll if you could maybe bring us up right now to we've talked about the ice storm, we've talked about gorillas in the mist. Yeah. I mean, we've gone from infidelity ooh, ooh, um, to animal violence. Right. Please bring us up right now. Mine was Ivan Reitman's 1993, uh, really charming comedy Dave, starring Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein uh, together. Uh, for the first time before they did the ice storm this is like a was a really big comedy romantic comedy sort of heartwarming production we've got gary ross who wrote it who was coming off the success of writing big uh, ivan reitman who you know ghostbusters ghostbusters 2 uh, kindergarten cop i mean he was writing high and this movie uh was one of those movies that kind of hit on all the right points it like was a commercial success it was a critical success i kind of had to watch this one a second time because there kevin klein paint playing two roles one uh he's the president of the united states and another role he plays is this guy who looks like the president of the united states but works at a temp agency and is really into helping people but uh also as a side gig um impersonates the president at like really sort of lowbrow events uh the idea is that sometimes the president needs a double 
uh, to kind of stand in to kind of do these other things so he can go off and have his his me time. So the uh, Secret Service agents, one of them uh, played an early, early role by Ving Rhames, uh, confronts the non-president Kevin Klein character and asks him to, you know, do your country service. Um, so he agrees to it. He's like, oh, this is exciting. And he's a really good-spirited guy. Uh, the The character he pr- portrays as a president um, this is a movie that doesn't really pick political sides. It's not really known whether he's Republican or Democrat, but it is known that he's not really well-liked by his staff, his wife, and he definitely is very self-serving. So they hire Kevin Klein um, to do this one-time gig, but then during this moment, uh, the actual president uh, decides to have this uh, fling with uh, his uh, one of his aides, his office aides, um, has a stroke, and this but this kicks off the plot where the uh, chief of staff convinces the impersonator the double also played by kevin klein to take over duties to act as the president so that they can keep this a secret from the public and not cause like a panic and a stir and he also has these other motives to sort of um put himself in a bigger place of power a lot of this movie plays on this idea of like you know other people are like kind of like fighting each other for power positions so there's like the 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 it's a movie that i again it sounds very simple and very silly but it does get pretty intricate and it was i kind of the second time i watched it i found it to be more enjoyable because a lot of information is coming at you uh, with double crossing and like power plays and there there becomes a love story between him playing the non-president character um sigourney weaver playing the first lady and she sort of despises her husband, the president, because of his infidelities. Uh, coincidentally, the same situation that, you know, we see in Astorm. But she soon realizes that the other Kevin Klein character playing the double, if, if you're still hanging with me, that this makes sense, uh, that he is good-spirited and has a good heart. And she and him devise a way that they can use the secret, that they can use the power that they have to do good versus this sort of red flag tape that, that a lot of politicians get stuck in, get stuck into. And it's hard for any sort of progress to be done um, because of that. And I think that's part of the message, that tiny message that's played in the film. But aside from that, it's a heartwarming tale to me, this is a movie that gives you that wrapped up package ending that gives you that satisfying closure 100%. I think it is a, it is an adult comedy. It is an intelligent comedy. And it's one that, that uh, it reminds me a lot of like a Gary Marshall film. If you, if you love Gary Marshall, you'll love Dave. I, I just, I have a feeling that this is, is, is like right there. It's like, if you didn't tell me that Ivan Reitman was a director of this, I would have been like, did Gary Marshall make this movie? You're totally it, it right falls on in, that. It falls in that category to me. So, um, yeah, I was so happy to sort of find this movie. And I, I you know, I, I thank you for, you know, you, when I told you this was the movie I was doing, you're like, I love this movie. This is one. And, oh yeah. And so I, you know, this, this whole podcast has really been me, getting to check out like really awesome movies. So thank you for that. Dude, me too. Me too. Same. As far as Dave goes, the, um, when, when, um, I forget it, I forget who brings it up in the movie, but, 
I think it's Kevin Klein that's like, when did you like realize that, you know, I wasn't your husband or that, you know, I was an impersonator. And, and she's like, it was in, it was when you looked at my leg, when my dress dropped or like exposed my knee. And she said he, her husband stopped looking years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that is such an on point observation. I love that. Yeah. He's like, oh, I thought it was when uh, I was in the shower naked, which is such a dude observation. Right. She's like, no, it was when you stopped looking at me was when I noticed. And I, and I, <laughs> or when you started looking again at me was when I noticed. And the, I kind of like looked up a little bit of the sort of the, the production of this movie. Yeah. And there's just a wide range of, of, oh, of, yeah. of real politicians and real commentators you know all the way down from paul simon senator paul simon to oliver stone to arnold schwarzenegger who coincidentally this was prior to him being the governor um but uh, i read that originally they wanted arnold schwarzenegger to play the original role which seems that would have made so many complications it would just been so weird that they would find a double that looked like arnold schwarzenegger in no one no um but i i do think that's where kevin klein's uh strength is here is that he does have that every man sort of sensibility and look to him that it really works for this movie and his goofball sensibility really works for this movie he just does a really good job of playing this like sort of uh uh, lovable schlub, I guess. Yeah, like, I gotta say, pretty much anything that Kevin Klein ever does, it's like he, yeah, he's totally an everyday man. You could, you could walk by him on the street and maybe not notice, but at the same time, he's so remarkable. And I really think in this movie, he does a good job of like playing up that sort of idiotic role, but. Yeah. You you just you never feel like he's hopeless. You always it just it's very endearing. But yeah. then he also does a good job of playing like this sort of despicable character that yeah you, you know and and there's only a tiny bit despicable of that, as that, the as the president as the president. But yeah. there's only a tiny bit of that. I mean, most of the movie revolves around this the the double that he plays. We had a little um, bit of green early '90s green screen action too with yeah. the president. Of Ke- like Kevin Klein and then yeah. Dave the where we see them both Kevin together. Klein yeah where they're like. All right. Uh, yeah, you look like me, but wipe off the grin. You look like schmuck. Uh, yeah, it really <laughs> is just a fun and intelligent movie. So those are our picks of the week, Dave and Gorillas in the Mist. Um, and this is starting to be one of our longer episodes, so we'll go right into it. This is your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. When I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. So Ghostbusters is my earliest, most conscious memory of Billy Murray. I was two years old 
And of all aspects of this film I love, my most favorite has always been the dynamic between Billy and the, the woman we can't stop talking about this podcast, Sigourney Weaver. There's a stark difference between these two actors. Weaver comes across as a more studied and refined yet natural thespian, a professional. While Billy is the natural improv actor, he's a comedic genius with amazing timing. Neither is better than the other, but since their approaches to acting are so starkly different, I've always figured that um, this is like one of the reasons that their scenes in Ghostbusters were extra special to me. They, They just always clicked, I think for me and for anyone really watching the movie. So uh, when these two worked together in the 1984 classic, Billy had this to say about Weaver. I'd see this huge skull working and I'd think, oh God, here's trouble. Because thinking is the death of comedy. The problem is that she's method and I'm not. So I literally turned her upside down, tickle her, shake her loose before every take that I could. In fact, there were instances where old serious Sigourney would be off in a corner mentally and physically preparing for when her character would turn into a hellhound. She was super serious about convincing people she could turn into a dog, just so y'all know she like really wanted you to believe she could turn into a dog. Well, almost every time Billy would find her doing this, he'd seize the moment and start obnoxiously tickling her until the camera was ready to roll. Weaver said that sometimes these instances would go on for a few minutes at a time. Sigourney was pretty good fun, Billy said. She's got style, she's a tall drink of water, and she's really funny when you make her laugh. She gets super goofy when she laughs. Weaver said that when she first arrived on the, on the set of Ghostbusters in front of the New York Public Library, director Ivan Reitman told her to go introduce herself to Billy. She walked over and said, Hi. I'm Sigourney. Billy responded, Hello, Susan. Sue. Then he picked up the six-foot-tall Siggy, threw her over his shoulder, and walked down the street. And for those of you who don't know, Sigourney's name, Sigourney's given name, is Susan. But you dare not call her that. It's been established that these two have great chemistry. They can pull off comedy together and dramatic roles separately, but what about drama together? Well, in 2002, shortly after the events of 9-11 in New York, a play by first-time playwright and journalism professor Ann Nelson was swooped up by the Bat Theater Company and Jim Simpson, Flea Theater artistic director and also husband to Sigourney Weaver. The Guys is a two-person play wherein a New York fire captain talks with an editor about the firefighters who lost their lives during the attacks of the World Trade Center and how the two characters struggled to come up with eulogies for these firefighters. As a New Yorker, Weaver heard about this and was immediately drawn to the subject matter. Shortly after she signed on, she herself recruited Billy. Together, These two established the workshopping and first run of the guys. The play was intended to help people emotionally purge, and although fresh in the minds of all New Yorkers, the play was accepted as a cathartic move into healing. Both Weaver and Billy were praised for their performances. Weaver had played strong and intellectual roles like this before, but this one involved more anxiety, more pain, 
but done in a coming to terms with a new reality sort of way. It was also said that Billy really absorbed this role as the fire captain. Slightly anxious and uneasy, emotional and moving, Billy's performance never disappeared in a total sentimentality. Rather, he kind of like established every emotion with dedication. It was said by many that it really blew people's minds that he even opted to do this role in the first place. So, I guess our answer is yes. Siggy and Billy um, can basically do anything together. In their over 30 years of friendship, they still have the utmost respect and admiration for each other. It really makes me appreciate the uh, awkward kiss they shared at the end of Ghostbusters even more. And one more thing. Um, Billy said in a a Reddit Q&A a few years back that the Peter Weir 1982 Sigourney Weaver film The Year of Living Dangerously is the only role he's ever regretted not getting. Um, now the part went to Mel Gibson and would have been or would have predated Billy's dramatic turn in 1984's The Razor's Edge. And it's I don't know there's just like something special to me about this that like the only role that Bill Murray's ever regretted not getting is one with Sigourney Weaver that like predated him being even in a movie with her I don't know it seems like I don't know something cosmic or I'm making that up but um having seen the year of living dangerously this movie about a love affair and it's also like a political drama about the overthrow of the president of Indonesia I mean I don't know maybe it would have been a super deep cut for Billy Murray but I bet he really would have been great I don't know. Um, So Billy Murray, Sigourney Weaver. I know it was a journey on this one, Justin. No, no. Well, this is the thing. This is the only thing of the podcast I know nothing about what you're going to say. But like on the back burner, when we were doing our picks of of the week, uh, Year of Living Dangerously was like one that I was strongly considering, but I didn't know anything about it. And when I kind of looked it up, it's the the subject matter seems so heavy that I was like we're already doing the ice storm. It's a real intense um, movie, and I was already dealing with a movie that I hadn't wasn't familiar with. So I was like, the year of living dangerously seems like something I'm gonna have to watch like two or three times before I can appropriately <laughs> discuss yeah, it. So I totally. didn't. I I like shied away from that one. I I don't really. I didn't. I didn't even know anything about that movie. But so it was anyway. Well, the biggest thing I took from this Murray moment was I hear this a lot of times between actors, musicians, um, really anybody that's doing something creative is like, I guess this idea of like there's instinct and then there's like a method or there's like this way that you go about something that like you're thinking about it. And then Mm -hmm. there's like people that... I don't want to say that like they're born with an instinct, but like there's certainly people that musicians, actors, what have painters, like they yeah. just, they go It's more about an impulse people that come from a method or kind of shocked by it that they could just like immediately come up with something. And I think, uh, you know, yeah. Sigourney Weaver, someone coming from such a strict theater background and such a strict methodical, like, you're thinking about everything you're like coming fully prepared and then someone like Bill Murray that can just like turn it on yeah you know but also someone that can go toe-to-toe with someone that yeah comes from that background and 
I don't know that that's always that that's always been interesting to me the like the the vice versa of like someone that's yeah so trained and then someone who's like so raw but yeah. like you can take and I think that with comedic comedians and comedic actors um it's interesting that some of the best dramatic acting that's come out of comedians are comedians that come from an instinctual and I cite Bill Murray, yeah. Robin Williams, Jim Carrey. These comedians that have been known for coming from more of like an instinctual way, improv yeah. way. Yeah. Have 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 when able to when they do these dramatic roles, have been able to give these just like crazy amazing yeah. performances. And yeah. I think that um it is I think that strange instinct of like being a comedian, um, if you flip it you know, mm-hmm. you can, you can turn uh, at the same time you can tap in. Cause I think an instinct is like, you're tapping into an emotion. You can, yeah. it's your idea, your way of yeah. tapping into something that's real. And so whether it be comedy or drama, you, you, that's where you're going for. And uh, whether the words are on the page or not, you know exactly. what I mean? So I, yeah. I like, I don't know. That's just, that was the thought. No, I it totally, this. totally makes sense. And I didn't realize that there was more to, the relationship of Bill Murray and Sigourney <laughs> Weaver outside of Ghostbusters. I never really gave that much thought. And again, like this is, uh, like I said, I, do, I never know what you're going to bring to this, <laughs> to these Murray moments, but I do like that lately I feel like there's been a lot of stuff that predates Ghostbusters. And because I, because I, I do feel like there's like this thing of like, with Bill Murray, it's like you see him as like Caddyshack, Ghostbusters. Yeah. And then you like catapult. Oh, further yeah. into his career into like the Wes Anderson films. Sure. A lot of times he's like very surprised me. It's like I forget I mean, how, how how long his career has spanned and how much how much he did prior to Ghostbusters. The man has had a lot going on for a real long time. Yeah. Um I think the trick as far as the Murray moment is just finding the the one that fits yeah. appropriately. Because like I mean it, it's not like not like this guy's like you know every minute of his entire life is documented somewhere right. so it is it is a lot of researching well i'm i'm always thankful <laughs> for what you bring i always uh i'm always glad that you're able to somehow somehow in some yeah. way try to make the attempt to tie no, it's Bill it's Murray cool. into our topic of discussion, our main it's cool feature when of it's one. It's cool when it's one that I'm like, oh, I already know what I'm gonna do, and then yeah, and then when it's like, all right, well, uh, yeah, what am I? Well, gonna I do, do like that one? you went beyond Ghostbusters because the obvious, yeah, you know, would be to go for Sigourney Weaver Ghostbusters. Totally. So, and I mean. If we need to uh, end this podcast with one thing, with one nugget of information, it should be the overarching thing that really Sigourney Weaver can really do no wrong. Is yeah. that right? I I I won't uh, I won't deny it. I mean, who's gonna be like you know what Sigourney Weaver wants to do my movie? You know what I don't. That's not what yeah. I'm looking for. Actually, no one turns down that boo. Yeah, there's okay? just like uh, no one turns down that woman. It just seems like yeah, <laughs> I just can't imagine any like Sigourney Weaver haters out there. <laughs> yeah, you if know. you turn down Sigourney Weaver, like we need to talk. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense. 
Well, let's uh, let's close right there <laughs> on our love of Sigourney Weaver. Okay. Um, you know, this is probably one of our longer running podcasts, but I'm happy for it. I think we. Sorry about we, that. No, why are you sorry? I mean, whatever. You're okay. Acting well, like I didn't talk a ton of you know talk. Um, off the no. air. I'm glad. We'll talk about that. I'm glad that we were able to get in, dig in deep with the ice storm. I'm I'm. You know, glad we we're able to take a little bit of time with that because it is a heavier movie and it is one that I think uh, you know need a little more time dedicated to it. So and 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 a movie that deserves to be talked about. And if you've never seen it, you really should. Yeah, yeah, it really is just such a wonderful movie. Well, we should wrap it up for this episode. We have decided that we're going to go lighter. We've done kids we in the ice storm. We need to we need to break it up a little bit. Throw some uh, so, comedy yeah, into so our, this. Uh, so our next episode <laughs> um, is one that I didn't I didn't expect that we were going to go for. No, but I didn't really. But no? this is another another one of those movies that I kind of like hadn't thought about in a while. But we will be doing my cousin Vinny with Joe Pesci. Oh, you've Tomei. seen it. You know my cousin Vinny. Um, Come on. And I'm really looking forward to that. That's a movie that I feel like November we've really it's been a heavy November for yeah. movies. You know. We we gotta we gotta come out of kids, we gotta come out of the ice storm. Great yeah. films. Independently, yeah. completely different. But you know yeah. what? Bam, bam, bam. So we need a comedy. Yes. So next episode, uh My Cousin Vinny with Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei. Oh, Marissa Again, if uh, you've been following us this whole time, we can't thank you enough. If you're just starting to listen to our podcast, we can't thank you enough. Uh, what you are can, we active on on social media, Justin? Uh, on social media, you can always find us at Don't Push Balls Podcast on Facebook. Yeah. We're more active on Instagram for whatever reason. I don't we even, love Instagram. I don't know why. It's just. It's Insta? Yeah. I think but, that's so it. Or it's don't push more pause. Insta. Don't push pause podcast on Instagram. We um, update uh, the website. Yeah, don't, don't push, push pause If you want to contact us directly, we always love hearing from you at don't push pause podcast at gmail.com. So we're going to switch it over to much lighter topics. Next episode with my cousin Vinny. Uh, looking forward to that. Until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reber. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Next time. <laughs> <laughs>